God is faithful. And even though I may fail or we may fail, God never fails. And even when the Israelites were unfaithful to God and prostituted themselves, God was faithful to his people. And today, God doesn't change. I still have the tendency to drift. That's why in Hebrews, you'll find that the, the Hebrew writer of Hebrews gives us warning about drifting, drifting, drifting. We all have the tendency to drift away in our relationship with the Lord. And he warns us about drifting. But you know something? God is always faithful to his people and to his covenant, even when I'm not. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Ezekiel. Now, I have been racking my brain out and going through this book of Ezekiel, and this is the first time in, uh, see, I started ministry when I was 20 years old, so this is the first time in 43 years that I've ever gone through the book of Ezekiel like this. I've read it, I don't know how many times, I've preached out of it in different sections, but God spoke to me, and he says, I, I, you know, just laid it on my heart that we need to go through the book of Ezekiel. And so I, I started studying it, and, and last night I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I, I wanted to put on the screen, now you young people don't know what I'm talking about, you have no clue, because I even asked the praise team, and only two people knew it, Travis and Zach, because of his parents. And I, I, I wanted to play the song Hee Haw, where it says... Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. <laughs> yeah, see, some of you know it. And I wanted to play that this morning. I thought, well, it's probably not appropriate, you know, because as I'm going through the letter and going through the book of Ezekiel, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, are we ever going to get past this? Are we ever going to get past the gloom and the despair and the agony and, and all of this stuff going on and, uh, that he's referring to and talking about to the children of Israel and mostly to Judah and the city of Jerusalem? And, 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 and so... <laughs> I racked my brain and I told my wife last night, I said, pray for me. I, I'm struggling, you know, I'm struggling because I don't want to be that preacher that talks about gloom and despair and agony and misery, you know. I don't want to be that preacher, and, but yet I feel like God is wanting to speak to us. And so three weeks ago, we started this book of Ezekiel. And even though it really relates, it really relates to Israel and Jerusalem, particularly the city of Jerusalem, we ask the question, how would this book, how could this book be relevant for you and I today? And we can learn since all Scripture all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And as we said, this book was written over a 20-year period. It wasn't just the letter that he sat down and had all these visions in and, and one day. It was a book of visions over 20 years when Israel, when Israel, they had already been taken into Babylonian captivity. But even though they had been taken into Babylonian captivity, there was a king by the name of Zedekiah. And Zedekiah was left to rule over Judah. And Jerusalem. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar said, basically, I'm going to paraphrase this. I will let you stay in charge of Judah and Jerusalem as long as you keep the peace and as long as you do what I tell you to do. I'm the king, but you can rule and you can reign over Jerusalem and Judah as long as you keep the peace and, you know, you don't try to... To, you don't try to revolt or rebel against me. You will be fine. And for three years, Zedekiah did that. Zedekiah did that. But in that, after three years, Zedekiah decided, I'm going to go kind of behind the back of Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to join myself, or I'm going to ask Egypt to become my, our ally. I want Egypt to become our ally. If I join myself, if Judah and Jerusalem joins itself with, uh, uh, as an ally with Egypt, then Egypt will join us. Egypt will protect us. Egypt will uh, 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 be there for us and we'll have a lot better life. And of course, if you study the letter, Ezekiel is speaking about Jerusalem, that there's going to come a day that Jerusalem is going to be crushed. Judah is going to be crushed, and they're going to be destroyed, and they're going to be consumed, and we've been talking about that. Because when Zedekiah did that with Egypt, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and said, okay, you had your chance. And he literally destroyed the city of Jerusalem destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left upon another. And of course, he took the, 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 the captives, the people of Jerusalem, he took them captive. And so we find that Ezekiel is living during this period of time in Babylonia. And he's having all of these visions. And, it's, and now we've gone through the first 11 chapters of Ezekiel. It's kind of a gloom, despair, and you know, going through different things. And he, God sends Ezekiel to communicate the message to Jerusalem and, Ju and Judah about what is getting ready to take place. He says, I want you to use theater. Uh, I want you to be a kind of a, 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 an actor, and I want you to act out what's going to happen. I want you to build a model of the city of Jerusalem. I want you to put up siege, uh, 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 siege, what do you call it? Um, Siege works. I want you to put siege works up against it. And I want you to demonstrate to the Jerusalem, to the people of Jerusalem, what's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. I want you to lay on your right side for 390 days, representing 390 years that Israel revolted and rebelled against me. I want you to lay on your, uh, that was your left side, I want you to lay on your right side for 40 days, representing the years that Judah and Jerusalem has rebelled against me, uh, every day being uh, 40 days, representing 40 years. I want you to shave your beard off. I want you to shave your head, and I want you to uh, just demonstrate what's going to happen to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that, that one-third is going to be burned, one-third is going to be uh, a, a die of famine, and that one-third is going to be scattered among the nations, and there's going to be a small remnant, a small portion of you that will be saved. And, and he goes on and on and talks about all of the things that are going to be going on. But this morning, I want us to continue this book, but we're going to end with a real high note, okay? 
We're not going to hear in with a, a real low note, but I, I, I kind of have to go through chapter 16. Uh, in fact, if you go from 12 to 15, chapter 12 to 15, there are a few more images that God uses to share with the children of Israel. He, he tells uh, Ezekiel, I want you to pack up pack up and get ready to leave. And then after you pack up and get all your belongings, I want you to dig a hole in the wall to show the Israelites how they're just gonna, they're, they're, they're just gonna get out with just the bare necessities. They're not gonna have everything they have. They're gonna get out with just the bare necessities, those that get out. He, he talks about the false prophets and, and, and how they're promising peace. But I want them to know this is fixing to come to an end and the false prophets that have been prophesying, oh, everything's good, everything's just fine, everything's going well. He wants you to know they're fixing to have their day. They're fixing to have their day, and I will deal with those false prophets. And then in chapter 15, he says, Israel is like a vine, a dead vine, that is useless for nothing except to be burned. And then he goes into chapter 16. Now, chapter 16 is the most intense section of Ezekiel, but it captures the passion that God has for his people. Now I want you to get that. It is the most intense section, but it catches the passion that God has for his people. At that particular time, Israel was God's chosen people. Today, you and I are God's chosen people. And when I say you and I, I'm not talking about Americans. I'm talking about people that have accepted Jesus Christ. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you believe that what he did on the cross, that what he did, he died for your sin, if you believe that he died for your sin and that he was buried in a tomb for three days and on the third day he was resurrected, if you believe that what he did for you was enough to wash away every sin and every stain out of your life, and you accept his sacrifice, you accept his gift of salvation, his redemption, you are God's chosen individual today. So I want to say to you, I believe that you are God's chosen people, all those that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, those that have rejected him and those that have not accepted him, they're not God's chosen people, though God loves them and wants to save them. And God is reaching out to them and wanting to redeem their life from destruction. But they haven't received it yet, that gift. But you and I that have received that gift, we are God's chosen people. And so this letter, this chapter 16, kind of captures the passion that God has for his people. In fact, he begins to talk about this section as Israel being his wife. Israel is his wife. In fact, if you read Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Paul talks about the church being the wife of Jesus Christ. And he kind of compares a husband and wife relationship to the relationship of Christ and his church. How that Christ gave himself. And that as a husband, you are to give yourself for your wife. 
You are to give yourself, and, and I know that we don't like to hear that a lot of times, but we're to give, we're to love our wives in such a way that we're willing to lay our lives down to protect her and to provide for her. That's the kind of love that God has for his church, that he laid his life down so that he could give life to the church. And so he uses this allegory or this comparison of a husband and wife in Ephesians, and he uses it here in chapter 16 of Ezekiel. And Paul begins to compare that love that God has for the church as, and, and here God begins to tell Ezekiel, I love my children. Now, this is kind of what he says. You can read it. In fact, we'll read sections of it because I want you to get the, the real picture of it. He said in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites, your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. Who's he referring to? Abraham. Okay, he's referring to Abraham and Sarah. On the day you were born, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Now, I want you to get a picture of what he's saying. He begins to describe the children of Israel coming through the lineage of Abraham, he begins to describe them. You see, you got to go back to chapter 12 of Genesis, and you'll find that, that, that God, that God, that Abraham did not choose God. God chose Abraham. It's amazing. God revealed himself to Abraham, and God chose Abraham. Abraham did not choose God. In fact, Abraham was a pagan. Abraham didn't even believe in God. He didn't even know God, but God chose to reveal himself to Abraham, and God chose Abraham, and he begins to start his work of redemption. You see, man had fallen. Man had rebelled against God. Man had fallen. The relationship between God and man had been broken, and God wanted to restore the relationship between God and man, and so he chooses Abraham to bring his plan of redemption to all of mankind. And so he begins to compare his relationship to this little girl that was born, and yet when this little girl was born, she was cut off and thrown into an open field. And no one pitied her. No one had compassion on her. No one thought anything of her. No one thought anything of Abraham. No one thought anything of the children of Israel. No one thought anything of his heritage or his lineage, I should say. He was just like a little girl that was born and thrown into an open field to die. 
But then he goes on and says, but God finds her. God finds her and begins to nurture her and begins to protect her. Now, this is, this is important. God finds her. Listen, if there's ever a time, I love that psalm when, you know, that we were just singing. When I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. Oh, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life I have been absolutely lost. Lost. But God somehow in his love and graciousness found me. He found me. He sought me out. He redeemed my life from destruction. And so we find that this picture that he begins to paint is of a young girl that God finds, that he chooses, and he finds in an open field, and he gathers her, and he begins to nurture her, and he begins to protect her. And then at a, and when, it, when it came time, he gave her, he gave her everything that she needed. And not only did this, 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 this husband or this person, this God, he not only gave her everything she needed, he gave her more than what she needed. She gave her the desires of her heart. He gave her protection. Now, I, I want you to think about this for much. What is it really that you and I want out of life? You know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, I like to have a big house and I like to have a, a nice automobile. And you know something? God could care less about those things. He doesn't care if you have them. When I say that, he doesn't mind if you have them. You know, but what we really want out of life is the fruit of the Spirit. What we really want is love and to be loved. What we really want is a peace of God that passeth all understanding, that no matter what happens in life, you have a calm and a peace about you. What you really want is to be joyful, because happiness depends on your circumstances. Joy is something come, that comes from within you. I, I don't know about you, but I really, I really want to be kind. I want to be good. I, 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 I want to be self-controlled, and I want to be patient. I got tickled at Judd the other day. Judd was talking to me, and we were talking. He said, man, you, you, you're one of the most patient men I know. You are patient. And I said, I didn't always used to be that way. Yeah, patience is a virtue. It's not something that you just have. It's something that is a gift of the Spirit. I didn't always have patience. And I said, Judd, I didn't always have patience. But I like it when I don't get ruffled and I don't let things ruffle me. Now, I can't say I'm always like that, but I try to be like that anyway. But when God gave her everything that she needed and even what she wanted, and then when the time came, when the time came, God made a covenant with her and took her to be his wife, Mount Sinai. God delivered her from bondage, from slavery of, Egypt, of the Egyptians. God brought her out of that bondage, brought her to Mount Sinai, and there at Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with the children of Israel, and he took the children of Israel to be his wife. 
This is kind of an allegory, a picture of what's going on. And then he continued. He continued to give her everything that a good husband would give to his wife. He continued to protect her. He he continued to lavish her with good gifts. He continued to bless her. He continued to love her and, and, and caress her and just, you know, embrace her. He continued all of these things. And even when, even when they 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 began to drip back to the flesh. When they begin to drift back to the tendencies of the flesh, he would just kind of bring her in and say, oh, but I want you to know I love you. And and even though you have the tendency to drift back, even though you have the tendency to rebel, uh, to be rebellious, I want you to know that I'm going to be a loving husband. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm even going to give you the desires of your heart. And God continuously gives and gives and loves his wife, his chosen people, the children of Israel. But then we find in verse 15 of the 16th chapter, the Bible says, but, talking about the children of Israel, but you trusted, get this, but you trusted in your beauty, you became prideful. You became proud of what you had become and who you had become. You had became proud of all the gifts that God had lavished upon you. You became so proud that you began to trust in your beauty, in your resources, in your gifts, in your wisdom, in your intellect. You began to trust in them, and you used your fame to become a prostitute. The very things that God had given as an expression of his love became a source of pride. Now, I want to pause there. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Everything that you and I have is a gift from God. We need to get that right. I didn't, you know, everything that I have is a gift from God. And you say, well, I worked hard for it. You may have worked hard, but God gave you the resources. God gave you the talent. God gave you the ability. He gave you the means. He gave you the health. He gave you whatever. God gave you everything that you have need of. And everything that you have that is good came from God. Now, we really need to get that really in our hearts and our minds, that, that the home that may be in mine in Kim's name now is really a gift from God. And the truck that I drive is really a gift from God. And, and whatever resources I have, whatever talent, whatever abilities I have is a gift from God. It isn't something that, you know, I work for. It is something that has been given to me from God. I may have developed a gift, But God gave me the gift. But isn't it amazing that a lot of times, if we're not careful, the very person, the God who gave us the gift, the God who gives us the gifts, becomes a source of pride and arrogance in our life. Oh, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've attained. 
It does. It's easy to drift into that mindset. And, 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 and God looks at children of Israel and says, but you trusted in your beauty and you used your fame, the wisdom and the knowledge and the resources and everything that I gave you, you used it to become a prostitute. You see, Israel forgot the God who gave the gifts. And so to the children of Israel become a, an adulteress. They become an adulteress. And they begin exposing themselves to the other nations of the world. They begin to invite themselves. They begin to invite the other nations of the world. Come, come, we want to join with you. And they begin to not only become an adulterous nation, but they became a, prost a nation of prostitutes where they prostituted themselves to other gods. Now normally, and I, is there children here? I've got to be careful. Normally, prostitutes get a fee or a payment or a gift for their services. Is that right? Now, I don't know that, but, you know, <laughs> in the real sense, <laughs> but I understand that. But did you know that they had become so, that, that, that the children of Israel were not giving themselves out to get what they could from the other nations. They were paying other nations of the gifts that God gave to them to indulge in idolatry and prostitution, spiritual prostitution, okay? Let me use that. Well, even physical too. She began to use her gifts for evil. She used her gifts for that which went against the very heart of God. She began, they, she, the people began to use their body. They began to use their mind. They began to use all the resources that, that went against the very heart of God. And they began to give the gifts that God had given to him, her husband. Now, how would you feel if you were a husband and you lavished your wife with good gifts, and she took all of those gifts that you lavished her with, and she gave them to another man to have fun with. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd cut my wife off in a heartbeat. <laughs> I probably would, my flesh would anyway. But how would that, would that not break your heart? Let me put it like that. Would that not break your heart? I mean, it would crush my heart if everything that I gave to my wife, she took and began to lavish on other people, other men. And yet, God was saying, that's what you've done with me. All the gifts that I gave to you, all the resources that I gave to you, all the goodness that I gave to you, you took and you gave them to other gods and lavished them upon other gods, the very gifts I gave to you as a husband, and it crushed the heart of God. And the reality is that when we practice sin, hear me, when we practice sin, we are taking the gifts that God has given to us and we're lavishing them on other gods. And it breaks the heart of of God. And so that's chapter 16. 
If you go to chapter 24 or 23, I believe it is, 23, Jesus or God talks about Israel being a sister and Judah being a sister and talks about the same thing, and I won't go into all that. God was never unfaithful. I want to hear this. God was never unfaithful. But even in the midst of what they were doing, this is what he says, and I want you to listen. In verse 60, God says this to the children. Yet, even though you've done all of this and you've prostituted and you've lived this kind of rebellious, adulterous life, yet I will remember the covenant made with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your sisters, both those who are older than you and those who are younger. I will give them to you as daughters, but not on the basis, but not on the basis of my covenant with you. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then when I make atonement, now get that, then when I make atonement for you, for all you have done, you will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, can can you get a picture of what God is saying? You see, The story of Israel is a story of how God chose the nation of Israel and delivered her from bondage and slavery to bring her to a land described as a land flowing with milk and honey. But over time, Egypt, the enemy of Israel, who held her in slavery and bondage, is invited by Israel to become her ally. This started with Solomon when he was a king. As a king, he goes into Egypt and he purchases horses. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy, the 17th chapter, God speaks to the kings that are going to come. And he says, listen, you're going to have a king. One day you're going to have a king. It's not really what I want, but you're going to have a king. And when you have a king, I want you to know the king is not to acquire wealth and gold and silver. He is not to acquire a lot of, a lot of wealth. He is not. He is not to go and acquire lots of horses. And you say, well, why horses? Because the horses were a symbol of a strong army. Horses were a symbol of protection. He is not to go and acquire, uh, inquire of a lot of horses. And he is not to take to himself many wives. And what does Solomon do? He acquires wealth and gold, riches beyond measure, He goes to Egypt, who used to be their master, who used to have them in slavery, who used to be in bondage. He goes to Egypt, and he looks to Egypt for his protection. If I I become an ally with Egypt, then we will become stronger. You see, they start looking to Egypt, who enslaved them to become their ally. And he married many, many wives from Egypt because it was a good political move. 
He went against the, against the very command of God. Solomon. He was commanded not to do that, and yet he does. And when Nebuchadnezzar invades Israel and allows Zedekiah to stay in his king, what does Zedekiah do? He looks to Israel, I mean, he looks to uh, Egypt to become his ally, to defend him and protect him from Babylonia. Now, this is important. This is really important because we all have a tendency, instead of repenting, instead of, let me say this, instead of repenting and looking to God, he makes an alliance with Egypt for protection and deliverance. Instead of looking to God, they begin to look back to who their master used to be. Now, how does this apply to us in closing? How does this apply to us? After all, it is clear that all Scripture is God-breathed and is given for rebuke and correction and training. You see, it is through Jesus Christ that God has delivered you and I from the bondage and slavery of sin. And though one may have turned away from a life of sin, our enemy will always try to call us back into slavery and sin. Our enemy will constantly remind us of the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I can't tell you that being a Christian is an easy life. Because I struggle sometimes. Look at Paul. What did Paul say? The things that I, and, and Romans, the seventh chapter, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the good that, I mean, the, 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 I'll, I'll paraphrase it, the good that I, I want to do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, I do. And Paul was talking about the struggle between the, the spirit and the flesh. And I'm going to be honest, sometimes it is a struggle. The good I want to do, I end up not doing. And and the things that I don't want to do, sometimes I end up doing. And sometimes I struggle with that. I'm going to tell you, when I was a sinner and living in sin, that wasn't a struggle. That wasn't a battle. Man, that was nothing. You know, man, I was, it was the fleeting pleasures of sin. In fact, even God says in his word that, 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 that there's pleasure in sin for a season. And so the enemy dangles his carrot in front of me and says, hey, do you remember when? You didn't have the struggle when you were doing those things. You didn't have this battle when you were doing those things. And so he offers this fleeting pleasure of sin even though I'm born again. Now, you may not have that trouble, but I think you do. I think you're like me and I'm like you, that we all struggle with it. And so the, the enemy is inviting me to go back, to go back into bondage to slavery. Do you remember when? Do you remember when? You know, you didn't have that struggle. You didn't have that struggle. If you'll come back, if you'll come back to me, then you won't have that struggle anymore. You'll have the fleeting pleasures of sin, but it's only for a short season. 
Just something to think about. And our enemy constantly reminds us of that. But I want you to know there is nothing. There is nothing in this world that can offer us that is, that is as good as what God provides. Oh, I might not have the struggle with the flesh, but you know what? My flesh doesn't offer peace that passeth understanding. Those things out in the world don't offer any joy. In fact, all it offers, it offers pleasure for a moment, and then it offers and gives me misery and destruction. Oh, it may offer, you know, that's a struggle, but it doesn't give me any contentment because no matter what I get, I never get enough. You know, if, 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 if I get money, I, I'm telling you, the more you get, the more you want. You know it's true. I mean, when is enough enough? I mean, if you're a multimillionaire, why isn't that enough? Why do you want more? I mean, really, you don't even have to be a multimillionaire. Just give me a million dollars and that'll be enough for me. But the amazing thing is, when you get more, it's never enough. And so, out in the world, you never have contentment. But Paul said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am. That only comes from a relationship with God, from your Father, your Heavenly Father. And so there is nothing in this world that can offer us, offer us as, what is as good as what God provides us. That's why he is constantly calling us back to himself when it is our natural tendency to drift away from him. And what I want you to see in closing is God is faithful. God is faithful. And even though I may fail or we may fail, God never fails. And even when the Israelites were unfaithful to God and prostituted themselves, God was faithful to his people. And today, God doesn't change. I still have the tendency to drift that's why in Hebrews, you'll find that the, the Hebrew writer of Hebrews gives us warning about drifting, drifting, drifting. We all have the tendency to drift away in our relationship with the Lord. And he warns us about drifting. But you know something? God is always faithful to his people and to his covenant, even when I'm not. I want to read a few passages. Derek, if you'll get ready to come. I, I, I want to read a few passages, and, and I want you to listen, and I've got this wrote down. In 2 Kings, the 13th chapter, verse 23, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To this day, he has, oh, listen to this. To this day, he has been unwilling to destroy or banish them from his presence. Though they prostituted him, I mean, prostituted themselves, he said he had been unwilling to destroy them or banish them from his presence. Wow. Nehemiah 9 and 28. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in their sight, in your sight. 
Then you abandoned them to the land at hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. As I read earlier, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalms 116 and 5 says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Psalms 145 and 9, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Lamentation 322, Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And James 5 and 11 as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so Ezekiel has given this kind of gloom and doom and despair to the nation or the children of Jerusalem. To Judah. But throughout the entire letter, he scatters. But I'm going to restore. I'm going to restore. I'm going to have compassion on you. I'm going to love you as a wife. I'm going to love you as my children. And even though you rebelled, and even though you, you walked out on me, and though, even though that you, you even prostituted yourself, I want you to know I'm not going to be unfaithful to you. I'm going to remain faithful, and I'm going to restore and bring you back again. What does that say to me today? What does that say to you today? tells us that we serve a God that is so full of compassion, so full of mercy, sitting and just waiting to offer you and I redemption when we fail. I don't know about you, but when I really think about who God is and what he's done for me and that he's a God of love, I know I know that I've drifted at times. I know that I have failed at times, but I'm telling you, every time, every time that I failed and every time I missed the mark and every time I drifted, God drew me back. He embraced me and he loved me. And he says, Randy, it's okay. I still love you. I still care about you. I, I, I want to restore you. I want to bring you back into a right relationship with me. How could I walk away from that? That kind of love, that kind of compassion. So today, I, I don't want you to see all the gloom and doom. What I want you to see is how compassionate and how loving God is that he would send his son to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. And you may not even know him as your personal savior today, but Jesus invites you. He invites you and he says, come, drink from the well. Come, sit at my table. 
come and enjoy the provisions I want to provide for you. And he's not talking about worldly stuff. He's talking about the things that are important. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I want you to experience that in your life. So I want you to come. And so I want to ask the question that I asked last week. Where's your heart tonight? Today? Who's got your heart? Or what has your heart? Is it the fleeting pleasures of sin? Or is it a loving, compassionate God that is calling you back? You see, I believe as a nation, as a church first, as a church first and then as a nation, God is trying to get our attention and calling us back into a relationship with Him. Don't be looking, don't be looking to everyone else, to everything else. I want you to look to me for your provision, for your redemption, for your forgiveness, for your comfort, for your joy, for your peace. Would you stand? I'd like for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I want to give you a chance to respond, not to me, but to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? What's he talking to you about today? What has become the king of your heart today? Is it truly Jesus Christ in your relationship with him that is the most important thing in your life? Or is it your career? Is it your nest egg? What's the most important thing to you today? I pray that it would be your relationship with God. Because God wants your heart. God doesn't want your nest egg. He wants your heart. God doesn't want your home. He wants your heart. God doesn't want your career. He wants your heart. Because when he has your heart, he'll have everything else. He wants your heart. And ask Derek, praise team, to sing the song. Would you just pause for a moment and examine your own, let the Holy Spirit examine your own heart today. Who's got your heart? Is it the God of love and compassion and mercy? Or is it the fleeting pleasures of sin or the things of the world? Something that we need to examine ourselves with today. Father, would you speak to our hearts? God, if there's any, anything in my heart that is pulling me away from you, God, I want you to show me. God, if there's anything in our hearts today that is pulling us away from you, I want you to show us collectively, individually. And God, would you help us, Lord, to pause and to realize that all the gifts and goodness comes from you. And that the most important thing in our life is you, is you. Jesus, it's you. 
Lord, I want to sit here at your feet. I want to sit in your presence. When evil is all around, when the enemy is at work, and the world is falling apart, I want to be able to sit at your feet and just rest in you and be able to enjoy your holy presence in the midst of all the chaos. God, would you speak to us today? And if there's one that doesn't know you, Lord, would you convict them? You said if they would confess you to be Lord, if they would believe in what you did for them through the cross and the resurrection, and they would confess, they would be saved. They would be redeemed. So would you speak to us today? And God, if I'm drifting, if we're drifting, would you draw us back into a right relationship with you? I ask it in your name, Jesus. As they're singing, this altar's open. If you'd like to pray, I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to stay right where you're at at your seat, that's okay. But I want you to pray. This is between you and God alone. There. that becomes your heart that you don't have a heart of stone like the children of Israel but that you have a heart of flesh where you say God all I want is you it's not about my agenda it's not even about your blessings God what I really want is just you a love relationship a husband and wife relationship with you that's what I want and I'm telling you when you get to that place in your life God is going to lavish you he's going to lavish you he's faithful and he's going to lavish you with his gifts of love and all he wants is for you to love him back that's all I just just want us to love him back I pray that becomes our heart today. Father, yes, yes. Deep, deep, 
you're going to get them out. Thank you. Hey, church, I want to, uh, first of all, be obedient. But I, like, I want to close out in prayer right now with the authority of pastor. But I want to pray for vision. People, there's members that are suffering from vision. And and I want to pray for that. But I also want to pray for individuals with back problems. There's one individual that God showed me whose back bothers them so much that the only thing they can do is sit down. But when they sit to get comfortable or, or to relieve the pain, the other one has problem walking. And, and the pain is so bad that it's affecting them how they walk. But the pain is also causing irritation as far as their family. Irritation in their life. People think that there's something wrong or you don't want to be bothered. But no, it's the pain that you're going through in your back. So I, I, I want to close out in, in prayer for, for that. And the last thing is, how many of y'all ever put your foot in your mouth? Y'all know what I mean? Yesterday, uh, my son's car broke down, well, his vehicle broke down, and I was getting ready to go to Time Otters. And I was frustrated because this was something I was looking forward to all week. And the Bible says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When you do things for people, don't do it in anger because you can hurt yourself. And I did. I hurt myself and my hand swelled up so big and scars was up. But, but, but that wasn't it. So I decided to go back home and start working on my vehicles. I took a part off my truck and I went down to the parts store. And I met a young lady in there and I told her, I said, I need this part, but I know you are not going to understand what I'm talking about. You're not going to know what it is. She said, well, just try me. And she knew exactly what I needed. I felt really bad then. But then another older lady came up and she said, no, 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 baby, you don't need this, honey. You need this. And it was exactly what I needed. I got back in my car and I almost cried. Do y'all not know sometimes God comes in so many different ways. He don't always come through a man, but he may come through a woman. He can come through pain. He can come through trials. He can come through tribulation. He can come through stress. He can come through, he can come through anything. God can. He can come through that. And one of the things that I learned right now, especially from yesterday, was sit back, relax. God got it. He got it. So I'm going to end right now in prayer right quick. Father, I pray right now, oh God, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, those that are suffering with eye problems, whether it be glaucoma or stigmatism or blurred vision, oh Lord, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they're healed. 
And Lord, I pray right now, oh God, in the name of Jesus, oh God, those that are suffering from back problems, oh Lord, lower back pains, oh Lord, or herniated discs or whatever it may be that's putting pressure on their nerves and causing them discomfort. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that that be gone and the power of God heals us all. I thank you for the love of this ministry and the love of this church right now, God. And I thank you for the beauty and the diversity of this church. Worship was so powerful today, God. I pray that you continue to heal through worship. The message was so awesome today, oh God, because it calls us back to recognize and realize who we are as a people and who you are as God in our life. Lord, I thank you for the pain. I thank you for the past hurts and pain. But God, even you come through that and bless and heal us. And with all that, we thank you now, Jesus, for all that you've done. May God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget the things that are going on. Would you uh, be so kind? Uh, can, I, can, I, can I do what? I need to do. Kim, would you come down here? I'd like for some of you ladies to gather around Kim as a contact point for my mom. The Bible says that there be any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. And, uh, you know, I, I did not know she was in intensive care until this morning. She didn't tell me I had to call. <laughs> but I just want you to pray for her. I'm okay. I believe that God's got her in the palm of his hand. But I also believe in prayer. And so I'd like for you to pray for my mom today as Kim standing in. And just pray that God would touch her and heal her as he sees fit and makes her whole. Would you do that? Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you today. God, I'm confident. I'm confident in you today. God, I know that she's in the palm of your hand today. God, I know that you have her today, God. And God, that your hand is upon her, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that you'd intercede, Lord, intercede as you see fit. God, as you see fit, that you would intercede in such a way, God, that she will be completely made whole, God. Completely made whole, God. Completely made I believe that you're doing it, God. I just believe that you're doing it in the name of Jesus because you've already provided You've already provided. So I believe, God, that you're doing it in the name of Jesus. So I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. In Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.